Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome everyone back to the return of the show. I am Ben and I'm here with my co-host Alex and today we are talking about The Last of Us Season 1 Episode 8, When We Are In Need. Alex, this was, uh, this one was again quite a doozy and uh, unlike other even episode numbers, uh, we felt a lot of things, just not yes. tears. 100%. Yeah, not not a lot of tears in this one. Um, I There were a I think a lot of people who've played the game were very excited for this episode in particular. Um, and I think they really delivered. I, the, you know, it's funny because I have been seeing things of like, wow, I can't wait to see David and I can't wait to see his face get rearranged with a machete. And I'm like, what's, what's going to happen? And then like, I'm watching the episode of like, oh, 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 I, I'm not going to lie. This episode had my jaw on the floor by the end of it. I was yeah. not expecting Ellie to have to kill him. I was so hoping that she would get saved. But like, as they said in the post show, 
She wasn't saved physically. She was saved emotionally by Joel. And um, yeah, this episode is honestly, I think, probably one of my favorites. It wasn't gripping all the way through in the same way that others have been. It was such a good slow burn, but the payoff was incredible. Yeah, I would have to agree. It really kind of underscores a theme that I think is present in most like post-apocalyptic shows, which is that almost no matter like what has happened or what, you know, large circumstances they're dealing with, the worst thing they're going to come across are other human beings. Um, Because unfortunately that just feels like what would be the reality. Um, It's scary. And you know, this episode kind of reminded me a little bit of there's this movie called it comes at night Uh, It's kind of like a zombie movie, um, but it just kind of is a very slow burn that delves into that theme of like um, this like catastrophic thing changing you and changing your humanity. Um, Highly recommend that movie. It's great. It's one of Riley Keough's uh, earlier movies, and there's actually a lot of stars in it. Uh, But yeah, that just like humans are really the worst thing that could ever happen to you, no matter the situation. Yeah, ag- agreed. I feel like, um, well, yeah, I feel like The Last of Us has done a really good job doing this, and uh, these episodes have just been incredible. Now, real quick, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of this episode, um, I just want to say we've been paying attention to the podcast analytics, and we know that there's quite a bit more of you. So I'm going to say something that we haven't been really pushing But please, if you're a new listener and you like what you are hearing, go ahead and leave us a review on either Spotify or Apple. It really helps new people find the show, and it's really important for growing a podcast like this. But anyway, back to what we're doing here. Um, Oh, and one more thing, too. We'd love to hear what else you would like us to talk about. If there's a show or a movie you want to have a conversation about, let us know that, too. Oh, yeah, we are. uh, We got a couple things going. Oh, I have to address another thing for our audience on YouTube. Um, We will be we will be covering the new Attack on Titan episode. Currently, we are waiting for a couple things to happen within people's personal lives to free up the actual recording time for that to happen. But it will be coming shortly. Anyway, yes, back to The Last of Us. Um, We got a whole cult to talk about here, and um, they're they're not doing well. It is not a yeah. I mean, cult I think it's pretty here. safe to say, like this is not, uh, this is like not Christianity in pretty much any way we currently know it to be. This is just somebody using the ruse of Christianity to create a cult of personality around themselves. Yeah, they they do deal with a lot of the body of Christ, though, if you think about it. But that's the... Um... <laughs> Somebody suggested on Reddit, they were like, we should have, they should have named this episode The Taste of Us. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's... um, it, it, This episode was gross. I will say the hints of cannibalism and how they got there were very subtle like at the beginning you um it's just this kind of thing of like oh we're starving how much rations do we have and it's like not enough and then suddenly there's meat being served but you think it's the venison that they got from ellie but then the venison that they got from ellie goes through the door after everyone's already served the meat and I didn't. Yeah, I was just like, "Ooh, did they just have venison in stock? Why did they put so much emphasis on this?" 
Nah. Yeah, and you know what the grossest part was? That they, like, didn't even sear that shit off. They just stuck it into the liquid. This, like... They boiled it. There was such a lack of seasoning. Like, (laughs) sorry, but salt and pepper don't expire. Like, can we, like... You can sear the meat off. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it was there. Oh, and then... Because, you know... You would think a larger animal like a deer or something, you get cuts of meat. You're used to butchering it into certain parts. So when they come out and it's just kind of like cubes. Yeah, it's minced And then she, she, and she, the cook is like, what is this? <laughs> Bitch, you already know what this is. Yeah. Uh, and- <laughs> it's vet. And the guy gives them, I was like, the toot, it's venison. Like, and also, like the there was an, there's another very subtle hint very earlier on, of course, of like, oh, we're not going to bury your dad until spring. And I'm like, what? What do you think's going to happen when spring comes around and you don't have a body? Like, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to work the way you think it's going to work, buddy. But yeah, the, the entire cult is like it's so strange because I feel like we're being shown this community that is doing really, really poorly. And meanwhile, we know that just days away, in pretty much the same climate habitat, there's Jackson. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, yes, you're in, like, the north, north, like, mid part of the U.S. It's going to be a pretty brutal winter. Um, But, you know, it's clear that a community can thrive. Obviously, you know, indigenous people had done it for literally ever but like people can survive in this climate if you are well prepared but this community it seems like has not been thriving since the beginning yeah and honestly it really comes back down to david on all this 100 percent. i i will say when i heard that this was going to be a cult episode i was expecting more of the um this show doesn't want to be horror i will say because I was expecting cult horror to a certain level, which is everyone's kind of really indoctrinated, everyone's really in it, but that's it clearly becomes that this cult is not running well, and it is not running through the way that you would normally anticipate a cult to stereotypically be run, where everyone's sort of brainwashed, everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid, and you're seeing that everyone's ride or die with this. It becomes much more clear that David has built this around himself and he's ruling specifically out of fear, miscommunication and violence. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think they I think they did a really good job of like at the beginning of the episode, we kind of have the like church mass scene. um, And then we have his interaction with Ellie when they find the deer and he Really does a good job. Um, I mean, huge shout out to Scott Shepard. That was amazing casting um, and acting on his part. But he does a great job of kind of coming off as what he wants to come off as, which is, you know, how every predator is. Like, charismatic, very warm, like, comforting. Like, he has an idea of what he's like. Yeah. And then you go, you have the scene where they get back and he smacks a little girl across the face with gloves <laughs> and you're like okay now that's interesting like he's that's um seems a little fucked up 
and then extends a hand out to her. It's the classic, like, I'm going to show you violence, but then I'm going to show you care right after. There is a, Yes, 100%. Th- there is a name for that. Um, that's adjacent. Cycle of abuse? <laughs> uh, it, it's adjacent to love bombing. I, like, there, there is a term for it that I cannot remember uh, if Ashara happens to be listening to this from the Melanin Muses podcast. I would very much like the name of that in the comments. Uh, also, shout out Ashara from the Melanin Muses podcast. But the, like, actual sort of cycle that he ingrains with this. Also, the way that he treats her, I feel like is a strange foreshadowing of the... Um, is sort of the pedophilia, but more or less the child abuse that we're going to see going forward, because it seems like the the person that they picked to be the main piece of conflict within his own cult, at least right in the beginning, is this little girl, which foils yeah, directly and I, to what Ellie's going to be experiencing. I think it's a like I. It took me a second to remember this. Like when they're having that scene with Mass, her dad has been dead for like maybe two days like he literally just died so the like lack of compassion is astounding yeah i mean like she i she's like in shock still yeah and i think like his whole thing is like he he comes off soft in the beginning and he's gonna show you this soft side when it pleases him but otherwise he's gonna show you this violence and um also, the fact that not everyone's on the same page about things like they weren't open with the cult about the fact that they are eating people, which makes me really happy that the entire cult didn't just get killed by Joel. It was only the people that seemingly were in his inner circle because it's this idea of miscommunication and keeping people in the yeah, dark so they I don't mean, have other options. Look, I'm not going to say there isn't an argument for if you have a bunch of people starving and somebody who is otherwise healthy died. I'm not going to say that's not like a tough call to be like, should we eat this person? Like, just look at what was that? Um, the like plane crash with the soccer team I, in the Andes. Oh, God, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, look. I'll put this out there for any future, you know, if I die and you're starving, like, just go ahead, have, like, <laughs> grab a leg, have a munch, like, that's fine, I'm dead, um, but it obviously seems like it's not just the one guy who died, obviously, we see, like, bodies hanging upside yeah. down later, so, and, of course, it's going to develop from there as, like, that's a form of punishment, I'm like, okay, well, you're stepping out of line, well, we're just gonna, gonna use you for you. food, yeah, um, besides it being like, obviously, yeah, and so horrific. It, but like, for me, I think like one of the main things here is like, this isn't a cult in the way that you'd expect it to be of like devotion, because you can clearly see his men sort of like wanting to step out of line and they want to get away with shit behind his back. Very. Yeah, clearly. of course, because what, you know, what it, they're not talking about is that, uh, Ellie and Joel got straight up attacked. Like they were, it's not like they picked a fight with these people. And I think that kind of just shows that the group is not doing well. They're all starving. They're all, you know, I would say that's not very Christianly. (laughs) (laughs) Go out and start attacking people. Eat thy neighbor. That is part of the scripture. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. And it is, you know, so we see David and he tries to project this like, you know, we can take care of you, like blah, blah, blah. But when the people who he is leading go out for supplies, they're like animals. They're willing to attack anyone to survive. Not, not you know, not completely passing judgment on them, but... That's just, it's not in line with what he is trying to project. He's trying to project like they're thriving like Jackson. And the reality is they're days from starving and turning on each other. Yeah, I mean, they are the Raiders. This is what the Raiders look like. And I I feel like this is something that um, anyone that's played Fallout and has gone through like a couple of the quest lines, especially in Fallout 3, this is like very in line with some post-apocalyptic thinking of you just end up with cannibals and communities kind of like this that aren't doing well and i feel like it's it's a very i don't want to say it's a trope of post-apocalyptic fiction even though it probably is but i think it's a very good thought experiment of like what does a good community look like the answer is in this case communist and a bad community in this case looks like a cult of personality that is basically just a house of cards I mean, they his entire orders were do not kill Ellie. And they're like, let's get it done before he's here. And then he shows up. He fires a warning shot and they're afraid of him. Like they could yeah, have turned it's on really him in that cr- moment. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's it, it just happens so often in this episode where it's like he has his idea of what is happening. And then there's reality and they're not really mixing it also, I mean, just to get into, like, the idea that before Cordyceps, he was a teacher Ugh. and, you know, as she makes that joke of, like, teacher to preacher, what, because they rhyme? And it's like, no, because they're both in a position of power um, where you can take advantage of people because you're able to position yourself as, oh, like, you can lend an ear to me, I can help you, like, I, I'm a warm person that you can come to with your problems and then take advantage of people in their weaker moments. And, um, yeah, and both of them have access to kids. So, unfortunately, at this point, I need to give the, um, I need to give a content warning for the rest of the podcast. We're going to be talking at length of both about pedophilia, grooming, and sexual assault for the rest of this podcast. So, if that is not something that you are able to do, um, I we'll put a little timestamp because we'll we'll talk about something else at the end. But yes, um, and I'll that will be in the description. So go ahead and take a look at that. Anyway, three, two, one. Let's talk about the prison scene onward. Because <laughs> yeah, oh, oh boy, man. poor Ellie. That first of all, I just want to say great acting from all oh my parties. god i we always praise bella ramsey but this i mean i i was like the last episode was so good this was on like another level she's so great um yeah i mean oh man it's, he's it's, so creepy he does such a good job of being so creepy and i yeah there's just um just to speak on like the female experience It's funny because I was talking about this the other day with some people at work where it's just like you're having a conversation with a guy and this just something switches on in you where you go, oh, like this person is not safe anymore and I have to watch my back and like something is wrong. Just this like 
inner feeling. Um, and I, I mean, I could talk at length about like women not believing their intuition because we're kind of like told to be very polite and, oh, just give them a chance. Um, so sometimes that intuition comes a little too late. But yeah, when when he starts talking to her about, it, and it's crazy because it's like, such a great foil to the conversation she had with her like sergeant or whatever yeah. in um in the last episode where it's like someone who's not a pedophile uh talking to a young girl who he thinks you know who knows he's she's very smart she has the ability to be a good leader and he sees a lot of potential in her you know in a not creepy fucking way. creepy sexual way Um, so then you have this other conversation. So I'm sure like her experience is like, oh, like that's interesting. I'm having a similar conversation with this guy who sees something in me. And then she just that like, oh, the second he puts that she says, yeah, he puts his hands on there. Uh. I just that really that really rang with me. I know any girl or woman watching this, there's just, there's, you have had at least, hopefully it's a small number of times, but unfortunately probably not, where you're talking to a guy and you just go, oh no, like, I'm in danger, like, ugh. Yeah, and I, this scene, I feel like, it's not as subtle as I feel like those experiences are in real life. And mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, women have to deal with a large amount of sexual violence that by men that precedes this. But I feel like for anyone that doesn't know, you can still relate to that feeling of realizing that something's off with someone. And this show, yes. I feel like, had to do it much more obviously of like the second he puts his hand on hers. Because in my mind, Oof. a red flag went off the second that he put his hand on the cage. Um, yeah, and I well, I think what where the subtlety for this scene is coming is, um, you're trying to gauge. Hmm, is she gonna go along with this to see like if she can do a long con and get out? Because that's kind of you know, it it kind of seems like where it might be going. Yeah. Um, but of course, that's just not Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, also, like, it, it, it's horrifying to be in the situation she's in. So instead, she breaks his finger. Um, Which is fantastic. Also, I love that that's the moment where she gives him the name because it's this it, – the thing about Ellie being violent and having a violent heart, I just want to say something. First of all, David is projecting so much onto her in that scene, but there's little mm-hmm. nuggets of truth in there, which is the reason why the manipulation works, at least – it appears to be working in the beginning until she hits that moment of like, oh no, this is a sexual predator, which I think is the moment where she actually turns. Because he's also doing things where he's admitting that things aren't going well because he knows that it's going to serve him to admit fault in that moment. Um, Which is a, like, people that are manipulative and narcissistic will usually only admit fault when they see that it can gain them something. And he's like playbooking it like really perfectly in this scene. So with her giving him something that he's wanted the entire time, but only after she has taken something from him, i.e. his fingers, 
that's an exchange of power and that's her mm-hmm. asserting himself herself over him which i think is like one of those things that does ring true to her now an interesting thing that i kind of want to talk about a little bit is the idea that she is a born leader because to my knowledge i'm not sure if that becomes a thing in the second game it doesn't seem like that's where we're going because every time that we see ellie she's always alone and she's just with joel and to my knowledge of the sort of um arc that she has in game two it seems like in the second game she is much more in a lone wolf scenario through a lot of the game but i could be wrong about that i mean i think it's also like she just has the ability to step up to the plate when she has to which is obviously a, a, a quality the main of quality of a leader um like it comes with her being a very, like, cunning, smart, witty person. Like, the idea that she arms Joel, she moves something in front of the thing to give him more time, and she's going to lead these people away is not only – I yeah, I think that's, like, something of a leader where she's, like, I'm taking control of this situation. Like, you know, it's only her and Joel, but she's protecting the pack. Um, And, yeah, I mean, that monologue – where he says she has a violent heart. It's so interesting because it's like, she is violent, but it's out of necessity and like situationally where, you know, obviously we don't know for sure that he uh, molested kids when he was a teacher, but obviously it seems like he probably did. He is just a violent person because he gets pleasure out of causing other people pain and having power over them which she does not, uh, like, she doesn't without reason. Yeah. I feel like that is a um, a, a big sort of takeaway that you could have from that is what's the difference between a person who has the capacity for violence, who can be violent if they need to, versus a person who is violent? It's the... Um, <laughs> Yeah, like someone who, he he loves it. He loves the power yeah. he has over people. He loves beating up on them verbally and physically. It, like, he's he's a sociopath. Yeah. Um, there was a, I forget the study, but it was, it was done a really long time ago, and it may be somewhat debunked since. But there was a study saying that, like, sort of the brain chemistry and uh, capabilities between people that, like, we call heroes who are capable of stepping up to the plate in times of like extreme violence and like are capable of rushing into a burning building have a lot of the same brain makeup and behavioral traits as sociopaths without the lack of empathy. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is a really old study. So if I am misquoting something, please let me know in the comments. But the idea there is that you have someone that has the capacity for violence, someone who has the capacity for doing stuff that is extremely unpleasant and can be harmful to themselves versus people that take pleasure in doing those things strictly for harming other people. And I feel like it's funny you could it's funny you said that because I was thinking I was like thinking this over and I was like Ellie's violent in the way that like if she grew up in a world like not post-apocalyptic I could see her being like a firefighter like somebody who is like going headfirst into a burning building like which you know then it's kind of like we're equating violence with bravery because to be brave you often have to face violent situations well um 
No, I think that's true because I think that um, in certain situations, people that are capable of violence um, will not know that they're capable of violence until they're put into a situation where they have to be. So, Mm -hmm. and again, the difference between capable of violence versus being a violent person becomes really apparent there because there's the people that take pleasure in killing animals and like will groom this behavior in themselves until they become a serial killer. And then there's the people that like find out like, oh, I can shoot someone if I need to, to protect someone and I'm going to be able to do that. And you're only going to find that out in the moment. That's the crazy thing. Like, you don't know if you're capable of defending someone like that until it happens. And it doesn't matter if, like, you, like, oh, I grew up training in martial arts as, like, a sport or something. You're not going to know if you're actually capable of defending yourself or someone until it happens. And that's that's part of life. And Ellie, unfortunately, has grown up in a world where Violence is kind of a part of existing. Yeah. And, of course, this culminates in um, her rearranging this man's face with the goddamn butcher knife at the end of the episode, which... Yeah, I mean, you know, we come to kind of what I said earlier, where it's like, well, this is going to be a punishment. Like, you're not going to step in line. We're going to turn you into food because otherwise we don't have a use for you. Um, And... She's, again, very quick on her feet and says, I'm infected, and she bites uh, David, which I don't know if it's ever explored, like, if she could infect someone. I would assume no, Um, but that is very interesting. Uh, Yeah, I'm I don't think she can. I don't think she can either because I'm – I do know that as she gets older, she has partners. So, like, obviously, um, any sort of relationship you have with someone like that, you're going to be exchanging bodily fluids, obviously. That's not going to go well. Um, yeah, I guess in her and Joel are, I'm sure, sharing the same water bottle. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, But, yeah, I mean, you know, she's quick. She's thinking so quick on her feet to get um, not murdered. Yeah. <laughs> to not get a cleaver to the neck. And is able to stop them for just a second, um, which, oh, also, shout out to Troy Baker, who is the original voice of Joel in the games and plays um, James in yeah. this scene in which, this episode. Which, what a good voice to show how much people question um, David's authority the entire episode. Yeah, because like in he that, did a fantastic job. Oh my god! In that final moment where he, it's like right before he catches the cleaver to the neck, and he's like, he's like, it's over after he after Ellie's like, I'm infected, and then they see the bite mark and like how it sort of uh, blistered out and became what it was, um, which the. The way that we have seen him throughout the entire episode, he was this perfect foil, and he's probably the person that, if David wasn't around, would actually be the leader. He's yes. the good second in command. He actually has a good head head on his shoulders, but he's been. Driven I mean, these we get that by David. We get that kind of in the scene where everyone's eating. First of all, we also didn't touch on the fact that David has like an enormous plate compared to everyone else. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And then James just, like, is so hesitant to eat. And he, I mean, you can, his face the whole time is like, this is really messed up, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, but he did a great job. Um, yeah, and then she, you know, cleaver to the neck for James, and she gets out. And also, all I could think when he's walking around was um, in The Incredibles, uh, when the villain is like, you sly dog, you got me monologuing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, she she did it. And, like, this is one of the situations where I fully believed the monologuing thing because... Yeah, because he's crazed. He realizes, like, uh, you know, the jig is apart. up. And also, I mean, I think he still thinks he can get away and be like, oh, she killed him, but I killed her or whatever. Well, But it's just them in that building now, so he can really let loose and be who he really is. That's the, um, that's the part that really had me shaken down to my core because I'm not 100% sure that he was molesting people in his leadership position. But the second that he's like, no one else is here, the building's burning down, I might die... And he fully decides, I'm going to try and rape this girl. And that was the... Yeah, I guess she wasn't convinced to be my wife from uh, my 30-second talk. So I guess we'll just jump to the next thing. Yeah, it it was really, really bad. And I feel like part of that is because he thought that if he was going to die, that that's what he was going to do. Like, yeah. it, it, the jig was up. He's probably not making it out of this. He got his second killed. The main building is now burning down. He didn't try to put out the fire. He just tried going after her. And he's let this girl essentially just tear a hole in his leadership and how the cult is going to see him after all this is done. Um, yeah, I think a, a big difference between the games is like, I feel like more in the games, in this scene, he feels like he's about to die. So he's like getting his last hurrah versus in the in this episode, I feel like he is not convinced that she actually is infected or he thinks like, oh shit, maybe she is, but like she's immune. I, so it, com- it to me, it's almost scarier because he's like, it's not, he's not doing this because he's about to die. He's doing this because he's just like so enraged and he's oh. like, oh, I got you. Like, it's just you and me now. It's, and everybody else will believe my story when I get out of this. There's two different reads on this scene. And I think that they're both valid. Um, it seems like I read it the way that the game presented it and you read it in a new light, which I will say your reading implies that he is so delusioned in himself and as such a god complex that it's like, oh, well, the woman that bit me must be immune. So well, he sa- this he little says, girl can't, like, must uh, be so special. Well, he says either you're not infected or you really are just that special. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, like, the fact, it, but the thing that's scary is it's his ego that's allowing him to make that jump. It's not rationality. Like... A rational person would believe that he's his time is taken at that point. But, and he also says um, someone who's infected would not fight this hard. Which, yeah, I and I wonder. If I mean, I think it, either way, like that, you read it is totally valid. He, yeah, <laughs> he's still being a scumbag. <laughs> it's yeah, no, he he's awful. Also, the um the really horrible line as he's getting on top of her because like there's a moment where it's like if he wanted to kill her he could have and i think a really important thing is that david's ego and desire to essentially assault this little girl is what leads him to dying 
And because there's yes. so many times where he could have just gotten her. Like Ellie was Yeah, if he had mercy. just killed her, then he would stay alive. But he decides, I have to exert my power one more time. And that gives her the chance to kill him. Yeah. In the horrible, violent way that he deserves. Really wish he could have lived longer through it, probably. But... <laughs> and I will say... There's like, a fire happening, so like... Yeah, I will say the um the line that really like shook me to my core was like the like I enjoyed the struggle the most. Don't you know that? Because it's like this yeah, where I just... I thought he said biting, but I think it's uh I like fighting the most. Yeah, which is oh, I mean just like stomach curdling. It's so disgusting and really horrible. And yeah, it just shows you what he's really like yeah. and what he has. You know. If this person got to live, this is what eventually he would be unleashing onto this group. Because yeah. you, you got to slowly uh, start being super horrible. But it's yeah, I, it's so brutal. And Bella Ramsey's screams as oh she's looking God. into a face of, I mean, pure evil. This guy is pure evil. Absolutely. Like she's already gotten that at this point. But like to see this up close is horrifying i will say i there was a lot of catharsis in his like there was catharsis in the fact that we got to watch this rapist pedo get completely obliterated by bella ramsey with that um and uh, ellie moreover we should be talking about the character with this but completely obliterated by ellie with that cleaver but at the same time i felt absolute terror for ellie in realizing what she just endured and, like, the way that she delivered the performance of the actual s- scream as she's doing it, the, like, you can just tell that this is a moment where, ultimately speaking, though, even though she got out of it, she's still lost. Like, a part yeah. of her has been completely taken away. She's completely traumatized. She's now a survivor of sexual assault, which I will say... um, as far as television using very real trauma as storytelling devices, I feel like this is one of the ones where I'm less mad because the entire plot of the show is about surviving trauma um, and how surviving trauma informs the way that we love others. And it is This is a show where it thematically makes sense to have a survivor of sexual assault as a main character, um, which... Like, I'm very, and this is an instance where I'm very okay with because it's very thematic to the show where other television shows will kind of thrust it in there and make it be like, we did not need to explore this element of trauma. Like, I don't yeah, think that Yeah, and this obviously is we get some pretty immediate uh, karma and satisfaction on the viewer's end. Yes. So that helps a little bit as well. <laughs> <laughs> I I can never, like, exploring trauma like this is such a delicate thing to do because there's something about sexual assault where it's a different animal than just exploring death because the crime itself is so much more personal than just being killed that, like, looking through this, and it, there's a reason why we have a trigger warning for this episode— and a content warning overall is this is something that like will drive up someone's PTSD very, very quickly. Um, yeah. Upon- I mean, it's not, it's not just like this guy sexually assaulting her. He's proposing that she become his literal child bride. Yeah. It's uh, be- become like, uh, like an indentured 
servant sex slave because I, she's 14. It's, yeah. it's, it, I like, you're saying this show doesn't want to be horror, but to me, that's some fucking horror shit it, right it, there. I will say, uh, it's so funny because the definition of horror is so strange as a genre because I agree that this is, this is horrifying. Um, but the genre of horror, I feel like always kind of, and this, we can like have other conversations about like how this might be from the Academy because this would get classified as thriller for plot reasons in any other situation. I mean, the girl with the dragon tattoo explores all the same themes that we're talking about right now. Um, yes, but will be classified as thriller, even though there's some blood curdling scenes in the book in the original movie. I haven't seen the most recent version of it, um, but the original Swedish film is all full of exploring what a survivor of sexual assault looks like and the revenge that that takes and how revenge in those situations isn't necessarily um it may have some catharsis, but it doesn't actually solve the situation. This is also a conversation yeah, that you have. Obviously, about Ellie, like, she killed him, but Ellie is worse off than, you know, when yeah. she started. The, uh, I also, another uh, uh, another winter cult Riley Kehoe movie, uh, The Cabin, kind of explores some of those themes. I love that movie. It was also, unfortunately, the last movie I saw in theaters before the pandemic started. <laughs> and it's about being stuck inside of a cabin. No. Um, so that was a little rough. Uh, that movie is brutal. Yeah. And it's really good. Also, um, what's her name from Clueless? Sarah. Not Silverman. Definitely not a Sarah Silverman. Not Sarah role. Silverman. Um, oh yeah, let me look this up. Unfortunately, I feel like there's a joke to be made about her time on Louie. Unfortunately for that, but that's Alicia Silver. So um, also Alicia Silverstone has a small part in that movie that is, I mean, un- it is not a comedic part. So Ugh. if if you want more cult slash. Uh, winter <laughs> content. Uh, I would highly recommend that movie. Yeah, I I will I will say um, this entire scene and execution and the way that David is important to Ellie's character was just done incredibly well. Um, we're going to move away from talking super on the nose about sexual assault now, but just be warned there will still be some minor touch ups upon it most likely because we're going to have to talk about the differences between. Joel and David as a father figure and sort of yeah. foil at the end. Um, oh, man. Uh, that penicillin be bussin'. Oh, my gosh. He just got <laughs> up. He was ready to go. Like, he he was fully like, okay, I'm awake now. It's time to kill people. I yeah, need my daughter. Yeah, it doesn't matter that he – it seems like he hasn't drank water in five <laughs> days, but – Man, that interrogation scene was so good because we haven't really gotten to see this real side of Joel, which is like they kind of just people talk about like, oh, this is what he used to be like. This is what he used to do. Tess talks about like this is what they used to do. But we haven't gotten to see that. So this is just like a little taste of how he used to be. And it is so good. Oh, my. oh man. The, um, the knife to the kneecap thing. I, the second Ooh. I saw that, I'm just like, Oh no, he's going full blown. Like he's not fucking around right now. And it's so bad. Oh man. And then when he's like 
tells the guy, um, it's okay. I believe it's okay. Him. I believe him. Ha! Oh. That was just like a man. Insert uh, like guitar riff here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is so badass. He's um. Ugh. Yeah, Pedro Pascal. Uh, for any sort of action role, daddy role, he got it. He yeah. He, he he's been he, also he painfully is aware of what the internet thinks of him right now as far as being I know. daddy Good Lord. is concerned. Let's leave the man alone for a little bit. <laughs> I um, think he enjoys it. He's, <laughs> he's totally about it. But yeah, speaking I mean, of- yeah, and it just kind of shows like this is what, you know, Ellie could have left him and she didn't. And she went to great lengths to help him get better. And that... um I mean, he'll never forget that. And he knows how important that was and how big of a deal that is to her. So he, I mean, this is like, they're ride or die now. They've been ride or die before, but this is just a new level. So he is willing to do whatever he needs to do to get her back. Um, And yeah, and they talk about it in the post episode where it's like you're hoping the whole time that Joel's going to come in and save the day and Ellie actually has to save herself, but he's there for her when she kind of just stumbles out of that building. Oh my God. The And delivers one of the most devastating lines I've ever heard. The it's like, okay, ba- I got you, baby girl. <laughs> yeah, you know she he he hasn't called anyone that I and this is the moment fully where they acknowledge their relationship together of like surrogate father, surrogate child, um, just adopting their way into each other. And it's, it's so good. And it's one of the reasons why I like this portrayal is he is there when she needs her after that, not to physically save her, but emotionally. Cause there's other media that will explore this idea of, what happens when that person isn't there? What happens when you explore all that trauma and then you have to find your way to be emotionally vulnerable again? And immediately she walks out of that horribly traumatizing situation, something that is going to forever change her. And her dad's there to be like, it's okay. It's okay. And yeah, and I mean, he he's made it very clear through the whole series that, like, what she has to endure is so unfair and just, like, unimaginable for a kid her age to have to experience. Um, and he, you know, she doesn't really say what happens, but obviously he gets the gist. Also, Bella Ramsey's eyes, when she's looking at him, I was like, these look drawn on. They are, like, so big and round. I mean, I, I don't even understand how she did that with Thousand her eyes. Thousand-yard stare. I, yeah, like, and I mean, they are so... I was just, like, really blown away by that. Um, and I, I feel like as far as... Because we don't really get a lot of Joel throughout the episode. We just get him when he's in rampage mode, which is not the kindest image to see of him, but it is badass as fuck, and we know that he's doing it to save his daughter. But, mm-hmm. like, the entire time we've been having this idea of Father David, and it's it, very choice words for him to be considered father, not just on a religious text. But yeah. he also weirdly, sickly sees his relationship to... um 
what he wants from Ellie to simultaneously be her father and be her lover, um, which is not good. And I think that is something that's hinted at with the um, with the girl in the beginning of the episode as well, because he makes it clear that she will always have a father. As ugh, that's that that scene in hindsight is so gross. Um, yeah, it is so creepy. But yeah, it just I mean, yeah, they kind of serve as a foil for each other and and somebody who is willing to use that like that relationship of like a father and daughter to his sick advantage versus somebody who is taking that on as like um just like a responsibility something that's so important yeah it's something that's so important and taking it so seriously and the like pure love uh that is involved with that relationship. Yeah. And I think there's something to say about the, uh, because kids don't know what their relationship with their parental figures or guardians are supposed to be like. And it's very easy for someone that is in a position of authority, including fathers to abuse that power, um, whether or not it's via neglect, via verbal abuse, via physical abuse, um, it's always possible, and kids aren't going to have any expectations on how to deal with that. But meanwhile, I think one of the things that kind of gets Ellie through this is she knows what a real dad is supposed to look like. And she knows it through Joel. Like, Yeah, and that she'll be able to lean on him. Um, you know, he kind of just, she took care of him, and now it's going to be his turn to take care of her. Yeah, I I'm really excited to see the next episode and like now that mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. feels like their relationship has fully culminated and unfortunately the end of the episode is an odd number which means we going to cry guys we've established uh, this on y- the podcast odd you're numbers You're going to feel a lot of things uh. <laughs> I know it's going to be sad. I know it's going to be upsetting. I am really hoping that it is overall uh, happy. It's, yeah, it's going to be mostly really upsetting <laughs> for many reasons. Well, I, I'm hoping, it, hey, if it ends where the game is, then that means that we should be in a good spot. It's however the game ends. And I don't, I'm pretty sure that the game itself was originally designed to be a closed story. And the episode two, and The Last of Us 2 was a continuation. That's my knowledge. Um, let me know if I was correct on that. But, yeah. I think we're just going to have to see where the next one is. Yeah. Any- All right. I'm excited. I'm excited and sad. <laughs> also, it, I'm I- sad that it's ending because I, I really could watch so... I mean, I could watch so much more of same. this. And we know that the second season isn't even in development right now. I think that they're going to be giving it some time because it seems like the third game is in development based on some rumors right now. And they'll probably announce it once the next episode comes out. So we'll see. Yeah. It seems like we're going to be getting a lot more Last of Us in the future. Just not um, not anytime soon. So there's going to be a big wait. Anyway, thanks. yeah, I really, I really hope Craig Mazin uh, continues to crank out these shows because, like I said in maybe the first episode, um, he was the creator of Chernobyl, which I think is perhaps one of the best miniseries ever made. I, I think that's one of the best, just like 
TV show, movie, whatever piece of media um, it, to come out of the past decade. Um, and Last of Us is really going up there on my list as well. So I'm extremely excited to see what other projects he comes out with because those have been, um, you know, just absolute knocks out of the park for me. Absolutely. Um, Craig Mason, this is a warning. Make more shows. (laughs) It's a requirement now. We demand it of you. Anyway, thank you all so much for watching. Please leave a review and um, let us know what else you want us to cover. Anyway, we'll see you next week. This has been The Return of the Show. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.